Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Clay Delos, and I'll be reading Matthew 25, verses 14 through 29. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was leaving on a trip. He called his servants and handed his possessions over to them. To one he gave five valuable coins, and to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. Then he left on his journey. After the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to work doing business with them. He gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two valuable coins gained two more. But the servant who had received the one valuable coin dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins. He said, Master, you gave me five valuable coins. Look, I've gained five more. His master replied, Excellent, you are a good and faithful servant. You've been a faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come, celebrate with me. The second servant also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two valuable coins. Look, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come, celebrate with me. Now the one who had received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid, and I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. His master replied, You evil and lazy servant. You knew that I harvest grain where I haven't sown, and that I gather crops where I haven't spread seed? In that case, you should have turned my money over to the bankers so that when I returned, you could give me what belonged to me with interest. Therefore, take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has ten coins. Those who have much will receive more, and they will have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken away from them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Clay, thank you for reading the scripture today. Uh, Thanks very much. Appreciate you doing that. I mean, but really, when you hear that story, don't you just end up going, really, Jesus? I mean, I mean, the guy held on to your money. He didn't steal it. He didn't misappropriate funds. He returns it. And you say, take it away. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you hear or read a scripture passage like that, it, I hope it jars you, that, that you would hear it and go, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like the what a friend we have in Jesus, Jesus that I know, that doesn't sound like Jesus meek and mild, Jesus that says love everybody. Well, that's right. I mean, when, it, when you hear something, read something like that, you might want to think, huh, There might be more to this story. So today is the last day of the series I've been doing on boundaries. And we'll talk about boundaries and God today. Maybe more boundaries involved there than you realize. So just let me just do a, a quickie review because all this ties together, right? I mean, all this ties together. It all builds on one another. So just a reminder of where we've been in the first week. We talked about how your life is your life. 
No one else can live your life. No one else can do your responsibilities, nor can you live someone else's life or do their responsibilities. So your life is your life. If there are things in your life you think, I'd like this to be different, that's your work inside your boundary to do. Your life is your life. So God created you to be you. Uniquely you. And what God uh, intends and what God calls us to is then to be a person who would love God and love our neighbor. Your life is your life. We talked about boundaries in family, and part of, we talked about how in, in raising kids, whether it's your kids or your grandkids or nieces, nephews, there's all kinds of family configurations uh, that, that what you want is to try to, to raise them in such a way that they have an internal and external compliance, that, they're, that, that, that when they say, yes, I'll do that, I'll take care of that, that they'll actually do it, <laughs> that they have the intention in their heart to get something done, and then they say, yes, I'll do it, that there's something internal, their own motivation, their own responsibility, as well as them demonstrating it. And, and honestly, I mean, they typically learn that from the people older than them in the household. They catch that. Maybe not perfectly at first, but the idea is they'll, they'll, get, they'll catch on. And the thing is, is that's the same dynamic God has with us. God wants us to have an internal love of God, wants us to have an internal uh, devotion to Christ, and at the same time to live that outwardly. Not be those people who live outwardly, yes, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but then in terms of anything internal, there's nothing there. Boundaries and family. We talked about boundaries and work. There's all kinds of boundary challenges at work, all kinds of boundary challenges at work. But, but the Bible encourages people in their work to do your best, to do it with excellence, and even to imagine that you do your work for your master, Christ. Yes, you have a supervisor. Yes, you have customers. Yes, you have clients. You have all... Absolutely. But, but it's about... I'm going to do my best because it's about being the best person I can be for Christ, even in my work. Then we talked about uh, boundaries in media, digital media, the, the things on the screens, our time with the screens that we look at so, so much. Uh, we, and we talked about that iconic uh, vision of Jesus as the good shepherd, the good shepherd who calls the sheep who uh, cares for the sheep, who guides and directs the sheep, protects the sheep, even lays down his life for the sheep. That the, that the thief and the wolf and the hired hand see the sheep as a means to an end for their own benefit. And so we talked about how when we look at those screens and the content of what we look at, often those are more like the thief and the wolf and the hired hand. They're, they want something for them. They want you to act as a means to their own end. And so we have to be careful and set our own boundaries about what the content of what we will look at and the time that we'll look at that because we need to make sure we have time to listen to the voice of our shepherd. Boundaries promote a life of freedom, responsibility, and love. That's why, we, that's why it's important for us to have boundaries, some that we set, some that others set for us. It's important to set these for freedom, responsibility, and love because God created us to experience freedom. God created us to experience freedom. And so given 
the world in which we live right now, I want to be real quick to say this is not about politics. It's not about elections. It's not about patriotism. It's not about any of that. It's about humanity, that God created humanity to experience freedom, to be able to make their own decisions about their own lives. God created us for freedom. Now, there are, there are, there are teachings out there that... Um, the short, the short version of it is they, people say God is in control. Um, and, and, and it's almost like anything that happens, even a choice that a person makes, that somehow God is pulling that string like, like a puppet master. We of the Methodist and John Wesley, the Wesley Heritage and, and others uh, believe that God gave us free will. Yes, God, God does God's part, but we have choices to make. God gave us that freedom to make choices. And I believe that's reflected throughout the Scripture because because no one, really, no one can make you do anything. Ultimately, you will choose what it is you're going to do or what you're going to say. That's your free will. That's your volition. That's your personal agency. But the the interesting thing is, the paradox is, is that we know true freedom when there are boundaries. We know true freedom when there are boundaries. I mean, that, this is set up in the very earliest pages of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, God has created this, this beautiful, wonderful garden, this paradise that has all the living creatures, and it has all the, the, the shrubs and the, and the trees and the fruit and the veggies and everything you would possibly need. And at this point, the, only the first human, Adam is what we call him, uh, has been created. And God said, you are free to eat anything in the garden. You're free to eat anything. Oh, except that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't have that. But you can have everything else. And so, of course, ultimately that's the temptation, isn't it? Why is there a boundary there? Maybe I want that. You know, there can be a hundred great things, but we that one, there's that one boundary. We want to push that boundary. And so you remember the temptation, because along comes Eve, and so then the serpent says, why don't you eat some of that fruit? Oh, no, we can't eat that, she says to the serpent, because, or, we'll, or God says, we'll even die. And the serpent says, oh, God just says that, because God knows that as soon as you eat it, you'll be like God. Oh, well, well now I'm interested. Now I'm interested, you mean I might get to be the boundary maker? I might get to be the one to call the shots. I might get to make things turn out the way I want them to turn out. Yeah, well, count me in. Give me a piece of that fruit. That's the human story over and over and over. If we have the chance to have power over others, oh, yeah, we want to do that. We want to cross that boundary. And to imagine we could be equal to God. The basic boundary that there is. God is God, and we are not. They did an interesting study, uh, uh, studying children's behavior. Um, And so they took this group of children to a playground, well-equipped playground, but but that playground out, it was kind of in an open area. It wasn't like in the middle of of where buildings were. So there was some woods over here, and there was a field over there, and there's all this open area. And so they, they, you know, take the kids there, say, yeah, two hours, y'all go play. And they just studied 
Where did they go? What did they play on? Did they do they did they do it alone? Did they do it in groups? Did they pair off? How did that? They just, they're just studying. What did they do? And so then they took the group of kids to another playground, similarly equipped playground, but this one had a fence around the perimeter. The interesting thing is, is that when they went to the playground where there was a fence, the kids explored far more of the territory. They would play all the way out to the fence, and they would play more on the actual equipment. And there was more noise and energy with the kids as they played, because they could go that whole way to the boundary. Whereas the kids that had this seemingly limitless area stayed closer to the middle of the playground. Freedom works best when there's a boundary, because then we know what we're free to do. God's created us to experience freedom. God's call to us then to do God's will, what God teaches us to do, elicits responsibility. There's things that we have to do, right? Things inside my boundary, my own work to do, I have to I have to own my own decisions and my own actions. And I have to decide, this is, my, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. And then if it turns out good, great. Sometimes they don't turn out so good. And then I have to take responsibility for that. That didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I'll apologize to who I need to apologize to, and I'm going to try to make it right. That's my responsibility. That's what boundaries do, helps us to know what are our responsibilities so that we're responsible for our own things, our own lives. We're not responsible for other people's lives. We are responsible to them. We're responsible to others at the basic level to be a good neighbor. As I said before, I'm I'm not going to go into my neighbor's backyard and start doing things over there. That's That's their job, not mine. Likewise, if they came in my backyard, I'd say, what are you doing in my backyard? I'm going to be a good neighbor, though. I have a responsibility to them. And if they were to say, our, our entire house is sick, could, could you come over and in our backyard, could you take care of some things? I'm going to say, sure. Of course I will. Because I'm, I want to be a good neighbor. I'm responsible to them to be a good neighbor. God's call to us to do God's will elicits responsibility. And the thing is, those things mean that this is love. That's what love is. I'm not, I mean, I know we get caught up in the, we, we like to think of the romantic notions of love. We like to think of the sentimental notions of love. And, and those are important. I'm not saying those, you, you, we shouldn't do that. But the teaching of the Bible about loving one another is about this kind of love that we extend ourselves to somebody else, to, to them, for good, for their benefit, and as we do that, we, re- we receive love as a gift. It's a gift, and someone does something for us, with us, that, that enriches our life, and well, we receive that with gratitude. We receive it with gratitude and, and, and joy, maybe even a little humility. And then, and then we think, well, well I want to do something for them. Now, we're not doing it as a payback because that means it's a transaction. But because now I want to show love to this person, and we do that. This is love. 
We do something for their good and their benefit without any strings attached. And in this relationship, we know there's a line where I end and the other person begins. We are literally in relationship with one another. And sometimes that love is best expressed through forgiveness. I had said in a previous message that forgiveness is the activity of one. That's me deciding. This is my responsibility. This is inside my boundary. Am I going to hold on to that wrong that was done to me? Am I just going to hold on to it and turn it over and look at it and poke it and push it and continue to deal with it? Because if that's the case, I'm the one being hurt by that. The other person's not. So at some point, I have to choose to forgive. I forgive that other person. doesn't make it right. doesn't make it right. And they may, they may say, I'm not sorry I did it. Okay, but I can choose to forgive. What you love for that to go to is a reconciliation. That's the activity of two people where the other person recognizes, oh, this was a wrong, there's a problem, and so I'm sorry, I want to make it right. And you can reconcile. This is love. And this is the story of the Bible, chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. That God, it, the Bible teaches God loved us first, and, and humanity responded with praise and worship, and we want to do what you tell us to do. And then somewhere along the way we said, no, we want to do it our way. We have a better idea. We kind of like this idea that I could be like you, God, so I'm going to do it my way. But then God chooses to forgive us of that. And then God extends that forgiveness and invites reconciliation, invites a response from us to say, we're sorry, that was wrong. I need to make this right, and I want to restore the relationship, God. And so we, we re restore, we reconcile, we, re, uh, we, we re-up on doing the things God tells us to do until we mess up again and God forgives us, offers reconciliation. It's a story over and over and over throughout the Bible that God wants us to experience freedom, that elicits responsibility, and that is love together. So why would Jesus say in this story, take the one talent from that servant and give it to the one who has a whole bunch, and and some translations even add, and throw that wicked and lazy slave into the outer darkness, where people will will be weeping and gnashing their teeth because of their misery. Okay, why? Let's look at the story just a little bit. We're in Matthew 25. Matthew has 28 chapters. We're getting near the end. You know where the story and the Gospels go, right? We're a page turn away from betrayal, from arrest, torture, crucifixion, death, and then resurrection. Things are going to get pretty darn dramatic here in just a moment. And so as, as Matthew writes the Gospel, then the drama increases leading up to this. And so in Matthew 25 are three stories that... Uh, Jesus tells that our our stories, parables of judgment. Now, not the judgment of you're okay and you're not and you're going there and you're going there, but parables of you're about to find out who Jesus really is. 
He said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And you're about to find out after the resurrection, he really is who he said he was. And then a judgment is called for. What will you do with that? That's the judgment and a consequence to the decisions that we make. Now, he gave to these uh, servants this, in the story, the master. Now, the master is Jesus. I mean, it's, it's more an allegory. Uh, he, the idea, he gives money to these servants. Now, the, the amounts that are told, this, this translation kind of downplayed it. Well, imagine everybody here that is currently still employed, you've you got a paycheck coming in. Imagine all of our annual incomes combined. Okay, that's what the master entrusted. It was a lot of money. It was, it was what the servants would have never imagined was possible for them to ever see. Even the one who just got one, it was still a lot of money. When you look at the original language, it was a ton of money. Now, now money's not the point of this. It, it, it's, it's a metaphor of the amazing riches and blessings that God entrusts to us. So some have just amazing loads of blessings and riches in their lives, and then others have a little less, and some have a little less, but we all have something. We all have something that's far beyond our capacity to earn far beyond our ability to gain. It's given as a gift from God to us, entrusted to us in this life. What will you do with these riches and blessings that God has given you? And so you had the two servants who, man, they got to work. It was a long journey. I mean, we don't know how long it just said the master came back after a long time. So probably months? Who knows? Maybe a couple of years. But it was enough time that when they came back, they had doubled the money. Well done. You are a faithful servant. And some of the older uh, translations has, has the master say, enter into the joy of your master. Now, it's not like you're now in a new club. It's not like you cross a threshold. It's, it's, but do you see what this is? Do you see how you've taken the blessings of God and you've done all this great stuff? Isn't that a joy? Enter into that joy. So it gets to the third servant, who is, is really the point of this story, right? The one who says, I knew you were, you're a type A, hard-charging person, and man, you're going to make money any way you can, and, and so you're gonna, you, you can do all that. And I was afraid, so I buried the money. I've, I've heard stories of people, especially during and after the Depression here in America, that they didn't trust banks and they were, they were afraid somebody would get into their house so they buried money on their property keep it to keep it safe. Well, this was not that. This was, I'm afraid, I'm afraid what to do with this. So I'm going to bury it because that's really the safest thing, isn't it? Because then when you, come, when you came back, I can say, here it is, here it is. And so the master, right, you knew... I, the kind of person I, you knew what I would expect, you knew the responsibility I was inviting you to, and, and you did nothing. You didn't even invest it. You could have at least put it in a money market where you would get point zero 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 two one percent or something like that. At least that. But 
So in a sense, the, par- the story, the allegory, is that the servant made his own choices there. The servant made his own choice. And his choice was, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to be passive. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to act like there's nothing there. I'm even just going to bury it. And act like there's, n- that I have, there's no response called for for me. So it's interesting when Jesus, in those other translations, calls him a, well, no, even in this one, said you, this lazy servant. You know, it's kind of funny. Throughout the Bible, the Bible doesn't, doesn't look kindly on being lazy. It promotes taking initiative, doing, staying active, which would be consistent with what Jesus says all along. Because it's not just, Jesus says, teaches, it's not just the words that you say, it's that you do them. But you do them. And this servant did not. And so the consequence was that he was left with nothing to work with. Consequence of his own choices. Your life is your life. You have been blessed by God. You have been enriched by God in your life. Again, I'm not talking money. I'm talking about the blessings and the things you've learned and the ways you've grown and the accomplishments you've done. And God has blessed us all in amazing ways. And so the question of that blessing is, what do I do with that? I mean, we can choose. I'm just not going to do anything. Or choose to invest our lives. Choose to invest ourselves in taking the things that we've learned, the ways we've grown, and, and employing that in our relationships with others. Employing that in our families. Employing that in our work situations. That we would then take those blessings that truly is just from the very beginning of the Old Testament that we would be blessed so that we can be a blessing. That we could fulfill that. And I really believe that as you invest your life in that kind of life, as you invest in in these blessings that God has entrusted to you, in utilizing those for the good of others, there comes a moment, an aha moment, where you realize this is the joy of the master. Pray with me. God, we're, we're grateful for the incredible blessings that we have received. That, that we have life and breath. Um, that we have the ability to be here today in person or online. We, we have friends, we have family, we have had meaningful work, we've, we've, we've had a chance to influence other people's lives for the good, we've been able to serve, we've been able to learn and to grow. We've, oh, goodness, God, your grace is truly amazing. We've had opportunity to be blessed by all those things that we've been entrusted with these blessings so that we can live that out and bless the lives of others. May we be like those servants who were entrusted with much and invested our own lives into how those could be used for the good of others. That we would too know the, know the joy of the Master. We pray this in His name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.